You are listening to a Cold Lake Community Church podcast. We hope today's message inspires you. Cold Lake Community Church, a place where families connect. Awesome. Well, this morning, uh, the title of my message is A Joy-Filled Life, and I'm just going to start off with a word of prayer. I'm going to pray the prayer that Paul wrote in the book of Philippians, chapter 1, verses 9 to 11, to the church, to the Philippian church. And it says this, and this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and in depth of insight so that you may be able to discern what is best, may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ, to the glory and praise of God. That's my prayer for us this morning, that we too would be filled with knowledge, a heavenly knowledge with a depth of insight, that goes far deeper than what we are currently experiencing and what we currently know in this moment. That we would be people of discernment and that we would be blameless the day that Jesus Christ comes because Jesus is coming and we are to be prepared for that. And the last week, Amy shared a dream that she had had about not being prepared for her wedding day. And I think it was it really spoke to my heart and it really began to make me think, Lord, am I ready? Am I ready? I want to be ready and my prayer is that our church would be ready, that we would be filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ. And uh, this morning, my message, A Joy-Filled Life. I wanted to talk about this because I believe that joy should definitely be a marker of the Christian life of the Christian experience, that we should know joy and be filled with joy. We are meant to live a life filled with hope, filled with love, and filled with joy. And we should be recognizable for our love for one another and our love for our neighbor. We should be known as carriers of a message of great hope, not of condemnation, but of hope. And sometimes it's not the message that's the problem. Sometimes it's the messenger. Sometimes we'll share words with people that we think are loving, but our motivation is not love. And people know when you love. People know when they're feeling loved. And God's heart is always that of love, not judgment and condemnation, but he wants to love us. And you know what? I know that because there was a day when I was an enemy of God. The Bible says that I was far away from God. And God's love touched me in a profound way, and I was never the same. And it drew me to himself. It drew me to explore who is Jesus Christ? Who is this person who has transformed history, who's transformed the world, who through himself and 12 men transformed the whole world? 2,000 years later, we come and gather to talk about this person of Jesus. He's something significant. He's not something antiquated, something old-fashioned. But Jesus is the God of today. He is the God of yesterday, and he's the God of tomorrow. He's it. He is God. 
And what an amazing opportunity and blessing that we have to know him and to walk with him, be filled with his spirit. And because of that, we will walk in joy. Because of the hope that we have, our lives will be filled with immense joy. Through faith in Christ, we have joy. And many in this room, however, may not be thinking that you're currently experiencing joy. And I think there's a few reasons for this. I believe that one sometimes is that we conflate joy with happiness. And they aren't the same thing. Culturally, we are in the pursuit of happiness. We're in the pursuit of happiness. And a lot of it deals with money, careers, and leisure. If we can have a job that makes us feel proud, that provides for our family and gives us excess, more than we need to live the lifestyle we want to live. And we have a lot of leisure time to be able to lay back and do the things we want to do. It's seen as success. It's seen as happiness. But for many of you that trade your time for money and work 24 hours in to get like four or five days off, you know sometimes it gets old. There are days when you think, is it worth it? Is it worth it to trade my whole life so that for, for that boat or for that extra vacation? And that's something that each of us has to grapple with, how we spend our time and how we choose to invest our life. But happiness is an emotion. It's a fleeting feeling, meaning that it comes and goes based on our thought life and how we interpret our life circumstances. Did you know that two people can experience the exact same experience and have completely different feelings about it? Did you know two kids, you'll maybe know this if you have siblings, can grow up in the same household and look at their mom and look at their dad and see completely different people? You see, joy is different than happiness. It's not just a perception of reality. Joy is not just a thought, a feeling of contentment. But joy, it's a spiritual state of being. And as a Christian, our joy is that we have Christ, is that we have new life, it's that we were lost and now we're found. It's that we now have eternal life through Christ. And this joy, it's a spiritual reality that transcends our situations and our life circumstances. And I think all of us would know, have probably one person that comes to mind, somebody in your life who goes through a living hell, goes through the most hellish situations in life, but yet still seems to walk out with a smile, still seems to walk out with a level of joy despite the horribleness of their life situations. And then we know others who get a sliver and their life is over. Any of us have a sliver? Paul had a thorn in the flesh. I don't know exactly what that was, but I bet you it was more than a sliver. Joy is a gift from God. And what's interesting about the word joy is when you look it up and you do a word study, 
it is very, very close in the Greek to the word for grace. It comes from the same root word. The word for joy is chara, and chara is for grace. You see, joy is both a gift of God, as is grace that he chooses to lavish on us. And joy comes from when we are aware of God's grace in our life and when we meditate and fill ourselves with the presence of God. It's a state of being that does not change based on our temporal circumstances. But the feeling of experiencing it can change if we don't live with a renewed mind, if we don't live by the Spirit. When we default to our flesh, when we default to the flesh man that we came from, we're not going to experience the joy that God has for us. It's going to be incomplete. So we need to have a renewed mind. And it's evident, one way that this is evidenced is by us focusing on God rather than dwelling on difficulty and those things robbing us of our contentment. We can dwell on God. And this is not to say that we ignore those negative emotions. This doesn't mean that we just ignore those things and pretend like those things aren't there. But I say we do what the psalmists have modeled for us. We lay down our life before God. We pour out our hearts to God. We tell him bluntly everything that troubles us in life. But then we submit those things to him. We remember who he is. We remember that he is good and that he loves us. And we remember that he is trustworthy and we rejoice in him. Joy and the word rejoice are very close. A lot of times in different Bible translations that you'll be reading, often they're interchangeably used. You know, there's an old song that we don't sing very often anymore. It's kind of one that maybe we might sing at camp, but I'm trading my sorrows. You know that song? We used to sing, I'm trading my sorrows. I'm trading my shame. I'm laying it down for the joy of the Lord. You know what? It gives God joy when we lay those things down before the cross and say, God, this is what I'm experiencing. This is me right now. But you know what? He replaces it with joy in our heart when we leave it there. We give it to God, and we walk in the victory of life that he's given us. And um, it's a state of mind as well as an embodiment of the life of God through his spirit in our life. Philippians 4, 4 4-7 tells us about God's will for us as it relates to joy. It says, rejoice in the Lord always. I'll say it again, rejoice. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your heart and your minds in Christ Jesus. Here we go. Here's another fruit of the Spirit, peace. There may be some of you in this room right now that do not feel God's peace in your life at this particular moment. And just as you may not be feeling joy, you may not be experiencing peace as you might expect. Philippians 4.8, the following verses, Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right and pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Our thought life is important. 
what we choose to dwell and meditate on changes us. It affects us. It affects our soul and our spirit. And the problem is sometimes it's so easy to begin to get into cycles of dwelling on negativity. I think there are moments that we all get there. But you know what? If we are dwelling and living in negativity, if we're living in the past, if we're living consistently from a place of discontentment, I can tell you it's a symptom. It means that you're not living by the Spirit. It means that you have defaulted to your flesh, to the flesh of our minds, to our old man's mind, and to patterns of our old life before we met Jesus. You see, we can experience joy instantly when we choose to praise and worship God. When we meditate on his word and when we enter into the presence of God, it's how we combat our old mind. It's by asking God for his mind and filling ourselves with his thoughts, with his presence, with his love, with his glory, with his presence. We experience joy to the level that we keep our focus on godly things and rather than difficult circumstances and discontentment. And thoughts of negativity that are rooted in demonic spiritual realm will begin to crowd out that which is true, that which is right, that which, which is pure, that which is lovely and admirable, excellent and praiseworthy. You know, the other day I had uh, a friend over to our house and Ari and I have really enjoyed gardening. I don't know if, you have, if there are any avid gar- gardeners out there. But the last few years, we've had a very nice garden. We've we built some raised garden beds. We put flowers along the house. And we have some little baskets and hanging baskets and things. And this year, we've been really busy. We're actually in preparation mode to move from where we're living to another place here in the north. And so we haven't been taking as good a care of our garden as we normally do. And so anyhow, one of, one of our friends came over, and they were in her backyard, and they said, oh, I love what you did here along the house. I said, yeah, we just kind of spread a bunch of wildflowers and things there, um, just seeded it first thing in the beginning of the year, and that's kind of what's grown. It's kind of neat to see there. And then she leant down, and she started looking at some of these cool-colored leaves and said, this is really awesome. Like, what kind of flower is this? And I kind of looked, and I said, oh, do you know what? That's actually a weed. And I started pulling them out. And she looked, oh, like, look, what are you doing? But what's interesting is that sometimes it's hard to tell the weed from the flower. And what's interesting is sometimes it begins to grow and it gets mixed in there. And you won't know sometimes until later when they begin to bloom what's a weed and what's not. And the thing is, if we live our life not knowing what's a weed and what's a flower, we're going to live continually discontented. Because we're going to be thinking, God, what is going on here? I'm doing X, Y, and Z, and my life's not working out. The problem with weeds is they crowd out and choke out everything else. Have any of you ever had a weed problem in your front yard that you've left unattended for a few years, and then all of a sudden one year you look outside your window and you realize you have more weeds than grass? That was me about five years ago. And I started getting out there and working it and seeding it and de-weeding it. I started off going on my hands and knees and pulling out the weeds that were easily identifiable. And I knew which ones they were because when I'd walk barefoot, I'd get a spike in, the, in my heel. And I would want to scream like a little schoolgirl. 
and then realized Sophia was there. But weeds are a problem. And the problem is they choke out that which is good, that which is godly. And so if in our life we allow things of our flesh, our mindsets of the world to creep into our life, slowly they'll begin to choke out the things of God if we are not nurturing the things of God in our life. If we are not isolating ourselves from those things that we shouldn't be thinking about, giving the proper containment, pulling those things out, and nurturing the things that God is developing in our spiritual life. So number one, holding on to negative thoughts and emotions is the opposite of a renewed mind. The art of walking with a renewed mind is laying it all out before God and giving it to him and trusting that he's going to take care of it. It doesn't mean that there won't be things we have to do, but it means we have to be sensitive to hear God's voice, to know what to do. And that's the difference. And number two, when you don't have a renewed mind... In that moment, there's a good chance you are not living in the spirit, but living out of your flesh. And that will always lead to discontentment because the flesh is always at war with the things of God. The Bible says that. Galatians 5.1, Paul talks about freedom. And the Christian life is a life of spiritual freedom. And spiritual freedom is a reality only realized by the work of the Holy Spirit in our life when we begin to follow Jesus. Galatians 5.1, it says, It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. You see, religion leads people to attempt to be made right by God by following sets of rules and principles. And how that works out in our life right now in our societies is people live moral lives for the most part. They think if they just live a moral enough life that if there's a God, he'll be good with them. That somehow they'll have squeaked through the gates of heaven. But the problem is it doesn't work that way. Neither of these things are means that allow man to attain true spiritual freedom. For the Bible says that to attempt to earn your way into God's good books by being a good moral person outside of faith in Christ is not only foolish, but it's impossible. It's impossible. Jesus is the way. He is the truth, and he is the life. And he is the door in which we have to walk through to know Father God. Paul refers to this type of spiritual pursuit, of pursuing a life of rules, a life by the law, as that of slavery. He warned the Galatian churches strongly of falling away from the gospel of grace and taking on a gospel compelled by grace and works. And Pastor Hayward spoke on this either last week or or the week before about the Jewish believers beginning to teach the Gentile believers that they needed to accept Judaism, be circumcised, and begin to follow the moral law followed the Mosaic laws that the Jews followed if they wanted to truly be saved. And uh, the major way that this was being practiced was to circumcise the males of the Gentile believers, the non-Jewish believers, and convert them to Judaism. And Paul fought this adamantly. The book of Galatians is a very interesting book. If you haven't read it in a while, you should read it. Because he uses some forceful language here to confront this horrible lie 
that our faith needs to be accompanied by works in order for it to be a true faith. The truth is, is that we believe and God transforms us and the fruit of our life conforms to that of God. That we believe, Holy Spirit does the work inside of us and the fruit is born because we are now part of a new tree. We now abide with Christ. And as we abide in Christ, our fruit will change. Our old fruit will no longer exist. It'll be unrecognizable because we're new. We're made new and we now belong to the tree of life. We're connected to the tree of life no longer to the tree of death and rooted in sin. But we now have new life in Christ. Galatians 5, 2 to 4, he says, Mark my words. I, Paul, tell you that if you let yourselves be circumcised, Christ will be of no value to you at all. Again, I declare to every man who lets himself be circumcised that he is obligated to obey the whole law. Here, what he's saying is that if you think outward conformity of changing your outward appearance is going to earn God's favor, it's not. Becoming a churchgoer, looking, sounding like church-going people, maybe dressing like church-going people, being part of the culture and learning to, to culture yourself to that of the church is not what saves you. It's not conforming to the culture of whatever church you're in that's important. It's about faith in Christ. And faith alone is how we're made right with Jesus. The very next verse here, Galatians 1.4, he says, you who are trying to be justified by the law have been alienated from Christ and you have fallen away from grace. You see, God used the law as a way to reveal to men and women how far sin had led us astray from the righteousness and the will of our Heavenly Father. It revealed the horribleness, if that's even a word, of our sin and our desperate need for forgiveness that only God could give. What's interesting here is that if the Galatian men were to allow themselves to be circumcised, they'd be admitting that Christ's death was not sufficient to save them. And if we walk around feeling that we have to do X, Y, and Z in order to be accepted by God, even though we believe in him, we're admitting that we have to do and that his grace isn't sufficient for us. Paul expressed dismay at the report that the Galatians were being influenced by these people trying to destroy God's work of grace in them. To embrace this false teaching was to nullify and fall away from God and his grace. As it says in Galatians 2.21 and 5.4, Paul confronts and corrects and urges the church to return to the freedom that they had by the grace of God. And for us today, it's the same thing. This is accomplished by living a life of continual repentance, of living a life in the spirit and allowing Christ to be Lord of our thoughts and our heart and our entire life. Not just our church life, not just the church sphere, but our entire life. For through the spirit we eagerly await by faith the righteousness for which we hope. For in Christ Jesus neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. Once again, what matters is faith. And you see here that it's, it's faith expressing itself through love. For we know if we have not love, we have nothing. We're just a loud, noisy symbol. We're a loud gong. 
that's being beat to death. A spiritual life is not a life that conforms to church culture, but it's a transformed life living by the Holy Spirit. You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free. Do not use your freedom to indulge in the flesh. So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. It says this in Romans 8, 2. And to remain free is an accomplishment derived by living in the Spirit. As we live in the Spirit, we'll remain free. As we default to our flesh, to our old ways of thinking, we'll allow compromise and sin possibly into our life. We'll begin to brood in negativity. And I'm sure all of you know somebody in your life who is consistently negative all the time. It's really, really hard to be around people like that, isn't it? Like to me, the way that I, when I'm around people that are overtly negative all the time, that everything they have to say is something negative. To me, it's almost like a leech. It's like sucking the life right out of you. And as the church, we know that there's going to be people sometimes that brood in negativity because we're not perfect people. But we have a responsibility to each other to be able to say, hey, I see this in your life. You've been extremely negative, but you know what? You don't have to stay there. God died for you so that you would have life, that you would have abundant life and pray for the person. Sometimes you gotta tell someone, hey, do you know what? You are so negative that you're like ruining the whole atmosphere here, you know? And you know the difference. I remember there was a lady, I don't even know her last name, but her name's Kelsey and she used to work at RBC. But I guess before that, she used to work at Staples or somewhere, and the, the manager of RBC saw her at Staples and saw the joy that she exuded in her life every day and said, you got to come work for us. And I just recently learned that she moved down to Lloyd and she just got married, but she was my person at the bank. When I'd go in there, I didn't care who I... I she was the only one I wanted to talk to because she was always so happy and joyful, and I felt better being around her. I don't even know if she was a Christian person. But I can tell you this, that when we live in the Spirit, we will have joy. Because joy is a fruit of the Spirit, and the fruit of the Spirit is the result of living by the Spirit. If you want more joy, if you want more love, if you want more patience, kindness, gentleness, self-control, it's not going to come by human striving. It's not going to become by willpower. But when we surrender our life to God and he fills us, and we live by his power, by his might, by his spirit, we'll be transformed from the inside out. It might not happen overnight. It's a process. It takes time, like anything. But slowly, God will begin to transform us. Some of us, it might be instant. You know, the amazing thing about when God comes into your life is that your thoughts begin to change, your desires begin to change. And all of a sudden, what was okay yesterday, God will convict your, your heart. And all of a sudden, it's not okay for today. But that doesn't mean that I now go to Pastor Hayward and condemn him for doing what I was doing yesterday. Because now in my mind, God has shown me that it is sin to me. 
means that I pray for people that don't have that same revelation that I have and say, God, if this is really from you, let it leach out everywhere. God, if this is actually a standard of righteousness, let us all live by it in the church. Let it not just be me. And model it. First and foremost, let's model it. Let's take the log out of our eye before we take the speck out of someone else's. Let's model it. And, you know, the amazing thing is one area sometimes that can be so, can kill the life of a church sometimes are these little sins that we think are little. But they're huge. Sometimes we rank our sin. We're like, well, you know, these really things that we know we shouldn't be doing, you know, you're, you're having an affair with your secretary, that's really bad. But over here, gossiping over here or, or you know, use you know, super spiritualizing gossip to the point where you just want to tell somebody something so we better pray for someone and you slide in the gossip in with the prayer stuff. You know, there's ways that we can squeeze in things from the world into our spiritual life that really aren't godly. That our motivation is not for that person. Our motivation is more to, hey, did you hear this? This person's really struggling with this. We should pray for them. But really, you just wanted to get it off your chest because you feel so good that you were able to tell someone about it. Let's be real. We've probably, all of us have been there. It happens where we leech in things from our flesh. And we try to spiritualize it. It's there. It's lingering a little longer. But it's there. We all have these things in our life. And these are things that we have to surrender to God if we want to get better, if we want to see our community transformed, if we want to live from a place of joy, if we really want to have the peace of God in our life that transcends all circumstances, we have to be people who live by the Spirit. We have to be people who can hear the voice of God and respond to it. And it's a process. And it's a process, but it's a process that I hope we all journey on together as a church. You see, a problem arises in the life of a follower of Christ when we don't have a healthy view of God's grace. And this is a problem that the church has had since its inception, really. That we've been battling legalism, trying to earn our way to be right with God by doing things, by living by a certain standard, to completely abused grace, where we think God's grace is here, so all of a sudden we allow compromise into our life, and now we call what the Bible calls sin, we just call it my identity. It's who I am. I was just born this way, so let's embrace it, baby. No, but this is the truth. This is what we do. When we have sin in our life that we don't want to give up, we claim it. And we identify with it. And now it's who I am. So how dare you tell me that I'm living in sin? This is who I am. But I want to tell you this morning, it is not who you are. God did not make you that way in the sense that that's how God intended you to live. God made you free. As those who are born of the Spirit, you are free. Free from the power of sin and death over your life. Free to dance, free to sing, free to rejoice in, in the Lord. Because we have something to rejoice about. We should start having like a Jesus parade. Every year. We have something to rejoice about, you know? Like why not? Like it's, it's an amazing thing, the life that we have in Christ. 
And you see, Paul's view of life in Christ is so thoroughly dominated by the Spirit that the Spirit is probably the one absolute essential ingredient for life, according to Paul. And although he never explicitly defines what it is in Scripture, living by the Spirit is contrasted against living in the flesh continually. And we're called to live in freedom, it says in Galatians 5.13, by walking in the Spirit, Galatians 5.16. But we're warned against carrying out the desires of our flesh. Paul lists the deeds of our flesh that he calls evident, which I read a few weeks ago, and here we're touched on also. But we also know the character of our flesh, if given the chance to dominate our life, will lead to death and destruction. For fleshly living is hostile to God. Paul indicates that as Christians, we are to live in and walk by the Spirit. Paul's description of the spiritual life is one of victory in Christ. It's a triumphant freedom from the law of sin and death, where the old man dies, is buried, and we're raised again in new life in Christ Jesus, which we see represented in baptism. It says so in 2 Corinthians 5.17. You see, the soul of a spiritual person reflects a change that's generated by a spiritual rebirth. And he can now receive his direction and guidance from the Spirit, and not just by the flesh. That's what's amazing, is that we are no longer slaves to the inclining and the desire of our flesh. But we can choose to live by the Spirit. We can choose to acknowledge God in everything, to spend time in his presence, to spend time in communion with him continually every day, so that we can live by the Spirit. There's a famous Marvel story called Spider-Man. I'm sure most of you have heard it. I love Spider-Man growing up. There's a character in Spider-Man, Uncle Ben, wise old Uncle Ben. And, and in, the, in the movie from probably 2000 or so, Uncle Ben made this outrageous statement. He said, with great power comes great responsibility. Do you remember that line? It's a good one, isn't it? Well, I think if Paul, if it was Uncle Paul instead of a, Uncle Ben, I think he would have said, great freedom requires great responsibility. That we have a freedom in Christ, which means that we also have a responsibility. That freedom in Christ is not, sorry, I just lost my spot. The freedom in Christ there is a cost to living a life for Jesus. And the cost is we give everything because God already gave us everything. He gave us his life. He made a way for us so that we could walk in wholeness and a newness of life. Is an amazing thing. Freedom in Christ is not an allowance for sin or to live foolishly, but the opportunity to live an abundant life through Christ. You know, Gordon Fee in his book, Paul, the Spirit, and the People of God, said life in Christ and therefore life in the Spirit is a life of joy. 
Just as you recognize a tree by its fruit, you'll recognize a life lived by the Spirit as we see the fruits of the Spirit in people's lives. And the fruit of a life lived in and by the Spirit is not exclusive to experiencing joy, but it's inclusive of all the rest of the fruit of the Spirit as listed in Galatians, that of joy, love, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And a person surrendered and led by the Spirit will continually be transformed and begin to reflect God's character more and more over time. I'm going to conclude here with the scripture in Romans 15. It says, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Psalm 94, 19 says, When my anxious thoughts multiply within me, your consolation is delight my soul. NASB, New the New Living Translation says this, when doubts filled my mind, your comfort gave me renewed hope and cheer. Let's fix our eyes on Jesus in this next season of our life over this summer. The author and the perfecter of our faith. Who the Bible says, for the joy set before him endured the cross for the joy set before him endured the cross. I want to say that one more time. For the joy set before him endured the cross. Do you know what the joy was? It was you. It brought him great joy to know that his great suffering would mean that you and him could be best friends. That you and him could be one through the Holy Spirit. That as he prayed in, in John 17, Lord, let them be one as you and I are one. That was his heart. He knew if I go to the cross, we're going to have one big family. It's called the family of God. We're going to live for the kingdom of God. And he did it for you. He did it for me because it brought him great joy. Father, this morning, God, I thank you, Lord. God, for your goodness and your grace in our life. And God, I know that there are people in this room right now, Lord, who are lacking joy. Lord, I know there are some in this room that are lacking peace. They're lacking all of the fruits of the Spirit. And God, I pray, Lord, that you would begin to show us, God, how to live in the Spirit. God, that our freedom would not just be something that's positional, but God, something that is experienced daily by your sons and your daughters. Holy Spirit, I thank you that you are in our life. And Holy Spirit, we give you more control of our life, Lord, that we would be led by you, God, and not that of our flesh. God, I thank you, Lord, that you would want to develop us God, that you care more about our character and who we are becoming, Lord, than what we do for the kingdom of God.
Because from that place of becoming like you, we can do so much more for the kingdom of God. God, I thank you, Lord, for your goodness and your grace and your mercy over our life. And God, I pray that it would continue. God, I pray for hope, a spirit of hope, Lord, to fill the hopeless hearts here this morning. If there's anyone here that came in feeling hopeless, God, that that hopeless heart, God, would be turned around, would be renewed, and they'd leave here feeling hope, feeling joy, because they were touched by your presence here this morning. God, I pray for more hope, more joy, and more love. God, may we be a people who are led and live out our faith being expressed in love. In Jesus' name, amen. You have been listening to a Cold Lake Community Church podcast. We hope that you've been blessed by this teaching from Cold Lake Community Church. Thank you for your continued support of this ministry. Cold Lake Community Church, a place where families connect.